Welcome to another episode of the Confessions of a Recovering Landlord podcast, where we tell you what your landlord doesn't want you to know. I'm Jan Gibbons, your host. And this is Bob Gibbons. And on today's show, is the sublease market really contracting? And what is shadow inflation? And how does it affect you and your lease? And a bevy of other topics. Well, let's get into that. Okay, so you teased us with the uh, thing in the intro about not fond of the space. word tease. Can we You're intrigued? Maybe? Intrigued? Yeah. You don't like teased? Uh, not, not with landlords and one. tenants. <laughs> yes, this I'll. T- I'm going to read the title to you because it just kind of blew me out of the water. U.S. office sublease market posts first contraction since the pandemic in Q3. This was brand news to me. Had you heard of this in any sublease market anywhere? Well, no, but I'm I'm not really closely following any market but but Dallas and right. those numbers you're referring to are for the whole country, right? Yeah, and also it's negligible in my mind. It's a rounding error. JLL that we love, our our big our big company there, but they found 155.4 million square feet of sublease spa- space was available at the end of Q3, a 1.6% reduction from the second quarter. Okay. So I know we're looking for any ray of light, but come on, 1.6? Well, <laughs> did, didn't they quote somebody else? I thought their, uh, that yeah, article... The CBRE found sublease space totaled 160 million square feet across the 53 largest U.S. markets in August, a month before Q3 ended, which is a 1.5% reduction from July. So it is consistent, yeah. but it's infinitesimal. But at least what they're trying to say, I think, is it's going in the right direction. Maybe it's turned. Well, I mean, and I hope that's that's true, and I don't have any reason to doubt that. Um, I think the, um, the, the reasons for that are likely, and, I, and you tell me if the article tells us differently, but I would bet that that means that is that because sublease space has been subleased now and now there's somebody else taking the space? Or is it because the lease just burned off and now it's direct vacancy from the landlord instead of sublease vacancy? Or door number three. Which is? People move back into their office. Ah, they I'm not going to sublease this after Took all. it off the market altogether. Get your happy behind back to work and sit in your cube. Okay. So that's what they were saying. So yeah, I think, it, I think the answer is yes, yes, and yes. Okay, well it's, that makes sense. It's all of the above it says many industry watchers predicted the office sublease market would peak in q2 when the u.s sublease market hit a new record more cities including gateway markets did record a drop in q3 although a few smaller cities saw a spike okay so overall and in larger markets they are saying it's going down but i'm gonna say it's because people are going back into the office well that's interesting because uh, in the dallas market there was an article uh, this time from a Collier's broker who basically just said that the large blocks of sublease space aren't going anywhere anytime soon. And his his logic was that until large corporations start going back to the office mm-hmm. and start making decisions on their leases, 
that those big lo- blocks of sublease space aren't going anywhere. And, uh, and I, I agree with that because, you know, he's saying that two thirds of available sublease space is class A. That's again, consistent with what we've seen in the past, but, um, you know, they're having a lot of tire kickers, he says, but not a lot of people actually making decisions. And so, you know, if you look at historically, um, sublease space on the market was a leading indicator uh, in terms of absorption. So people come in and they take the sublease first mm-hmm. if they can, if there's an option, and then they go to direct space because obviously direct space is more expensive. With COVID, it doesn't seem like that's that pattern is necessarily holding true. Well, and I was just talking with our co-star rep, which of course she is trying to sell me a product, but in highlighting and showcasing the sublease listings that we do have, he said there are tenants that just go from sublease to sublease to sublease. Oh, yeah. They never intend to get their direct lease. They're always looking for the bargain. Sure. And I don't I don't uh, blame people for that. But, you know, when it comes to sublease, you got to you should factor in the cost to relocate. Absolutely. And not just the hard costs like picking up the desks and moving them and and moving your in, uh, internet and your mm-hmm. you know IT infrastructure and all that, but also what's the downtime to productivity to relocate. That should be a part of the calculus in that. And if that's the case, if you do a short enough sh- sublease, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So you get, let's say you get a $5 a square foot reduction in rent over what it would be on a direct space, but it costs you $10 to move. Well, all right, unless you have a lease term that's three or four years long or more where you're going to be getting that $5 savings per year um, for you know mm-hmm. many consecutive years, it doesn't make sense years. to spend the 10 bucks. So people need to think about that. And I think now, if they're a really lean, mean, everything's in the cloud, pick up my laptop say, and run. If they're wearing Converse shoes and have a man bun <laughs> and everything they own is in a backpack on their back, they can move this afternoon and make it work. I, That's why we have WeWork. I, <laughs> I know that sounds a bit um, condescending. Stereotypical. But, well, these people are very nimble. And I, they're not, you think, oh, well, you have to move and you have to set up all your IT infrastructure, no, they do it all. And in an afternoon, while well, I'm taking a nap. So I might be making fun of them, but I'm also jealous of how nimble they are and how quickly they can adjust and set up again. Okay, so let's, um, let's move on to a, a similar topic, but this would be uh, talking about office occupancy stabilizing in Q3. This is, again, another headline. And um, back to some of the folks we've mentioned before. I'm sorry. I've been in a COVID haze. What does stabilize mean? Yeah, meaning it's not going up anymore, and it, or it's not going down anymore, and it's not really going up either. It's just sort of flat. According to um, JLL, Cressa, uh, JLL said negative absorption between 7 million square feet and Cressa 13 million square feet, uh, and that was about a third of the level seen in Q2. So they're basically saying it's falling at a slower rate. So is that a good thing? Yeah, I mean, it's a good I'm thing. I'm aging at a slower rate. I mean, it's still <laughs> going in the same direction. Collier's, on the other hand, said for their 55 of 60 markets found 3.3 million square feet of positive absorption. So somewhere between 3.3 million positive and 13 million negative is what these different groups are saying the third quarter absorption difference was. Um, so is that leveling off? Well, if you believe Collier's three and a half million or 3.3 million, yeah, maybe. But what was interesting 
is that in the Collier's data, of the 55 markets they looked at, 32 had a positive absorption in the third quarter. Really? That's more than half. Are those major markets? Well, if they're checking 55 markets, no. Was that Huska, Oklahoma? They're the more prominent ones, the, okay. the larger ones. And yeah, it's going to include all the big names, but is it going to include Boise? I don't know. I didn't. They don't give me that level of hey, detail here. give Boise some love. It's coming on. So the other thing that was interesting about this report was that 100 million square feet of new offices are in, office spaces under construction. That That's the part that blows me away. You talk about eternal optimistic hope. Well, to be building right now, except I mean, these these are projects that started a while back. Right. So it takes a while. Yeah, yeah. But that is the least amount of new construction in the pipeline since 2015. OK. Are you including office and industrial? Nope. That's just office. Oh, my God. Now, if we were talking industrial, we'd yeah. be adding a zero mm, to that. Right. Probably. Well, and that's not hope. That's smart. <laughs> but the office just, you know, with everyone saying it'll never look the same again, which I don't think it will. But I. I don't know. Well, all right. So let's follow this up with workers going back to the office. Uh, here's a, another report. Workers back to the office at the highest rate since the pandemic began. So basically they're, they're quoting the Castle Systems Back to Work Barometer, which mm-hmm. we've quoted many times. And I have to say that for the first time, we're seeing in a couple of cities occupancies above 50%. Whoa. Well, occupancies is not the right term. Card swipes for the mm-hmm. access cards. So for the week of uh, October the 6th, um, Austin was at 51.1%. Houston was at 50.2%. Dallas came in third at 50, 46.8%. So it wasn't quite 50%. The bad news is this week, Austin fell to 47.7%. Houston basically unchanged at 503 Dallas up a little bit to 472 So, but still, that's the first time since the pandemic began that we've seen any city at above 50%. Yeah. That, that I thought was good news. Now, having said all that, there are still more announcements. Uh, World, Whirlpool and Lionsgate Entertainment have set return dates for um, this month, October or November. So that's good. Amazon saying that they're now going to let individual teams decide what mix of remote and in-person work makes sense for them. So there's not going to be an edict from on high. And uh, I heard a, a, a Wall Street Journal um, interview with the CEO of Google this morning. He's saying they've pushed back their return date to January 1 of 22. But when they do that, it'll likely be three days in the office, two days off. Mm-hmm. And they think that's going to probably be a permanent thing. And they're, they're calling let, it the three, two, the three, two. Exactly. J- just so that you're in the know. Well, I was trying not to be so <laughs> millennial. Man bunnish. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I found most interesting about his comments though, were that right now their entire company is um, voluntary as to who comes into the office and how frequently in New York city, they are now at above 50%. Wow. For their own office. More than 50% of the people are coming in. And he said for the first time, there was actually a line at the lunch counter in their cafeteria. Yeah, I heard that. That's <laughs> so exciting. I thought that was great. Get your tuna melt. Have oh, to wait. Yuck, no. Oh. I'm not going back to the office for a tuna melt. <laughs> That's going to make me run the other way. Okay. Well, taking. What do you, what do you got? Oh, no. My turn. <laughs> yes, it is your turn. Taking a little bit of a different tact, this article um, in the New York Times was called, There is Shadow Inflation Taking Place All Around Us. What is shadow inflation? Exactly. That's what grabbed my attention. 
because I know what inflation is, but shadow inflation, I love this definition. It makes so much sense. You are still going to the restaurant. Right. And everything you pay for is probably costing about the same as it was before. But the wait time for your table is more. Your service isn't as good. Uh, and you can't be seated because they don't have enough wait staff to serve you. So the inflation for you is more time spent there getting what you could have gotten before so the pandemic in a shorter amount of time. Same thing with everything, any type of service. You look at uh, getting your home cleaned, getting your car detailed, anything anymore. They're trying to keep the price pretty close to what it was, but they're taking services away. So it's time inflation. Uh-huh. In well, Although, time and services. What is interesting, because we, you know, we have our house cleaned by a service, and we got a call a few weeks ago, and they said, I'm sorry, we are not going to be able to clean your house this week because we don't have enough employees. Yeah. And so, you know, we had to clean ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a shadow of a whole nother kind. Well, like here's some examples. A hotel room might cost the same as a year ago, but no longer include daily cleaning services because of a shortage of housekeepers. Yep. Some restaurants are offering limited service with waiters stretched thin. Would-be car buyers are being advised to be flexible on the color and even make and model lest they face a long wait to get their new wheels. School bus yellow. <laughs> so I just like that. And it said people trying to buy appliances and other retail goods are waiting longer. According to J.D. Power, even at the highest rated retailers, only 57% of customers were able to get customer service within five minutes this year, down from 68% in 2018. Hmm. So... Why you think stuff may cost the same, I think we've all lowered our expectations because when you call to book something, you may hear a kid crying in the back and you realize that staffer is at home and yeah. they don't have daycare. So I think we've all kind of given each other a break, which is good, but now it's coming at a cost that we don't even realize and it's called shadow inflation. So how does that impact an office or warehouse lease or occupancy, do you think? Well... I would think in the form of services again. Your so the services you're still, they're trying to get. The, you're to still paying on. the same that your lease you that you contracted for when you originally signed it, but janitorial may not come as often. The concierge isn't behind the desk twenty four seven anymore. Security's only there on the weekends and nights. Uh, I don't know. What are you seeing? Well, I mean, we've definitely seen a lot of things occurring with regard to um, fewer people to serve different different mm -hmm. services the deli's open for 30 minutes a day and it's a yes. bagged lunch and you don't get to pick it but that's really i don't think that's a function of their um, workforce probably as much as it is just nobody's in the building so why should they be open as long but so i think it depends on the kind of service we're talking about as to how it's impacting them but uh deliveries for sure i mean our industrial clients and even our office clients, I mean, if they if they order something that may not be coming as soon, I uh, I contacted one of our um, uh, manufacturing clients who manufactures in China, and uh, I asked him how things were going, and he's like, twice as expensive, half as fast. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man. But, it, you know, that's consistent with what we're hearing, mm -hmm. right? You know, if, if it took 40 days to get your products from China, now it's 80 days. And uh, and it's costing more. So refer to last week's episode about the supply chain. Well, exactly, and we'll have an update on that in here in a second. But um, so the yeah, shadow inflation is interesting. But now speaking of actual interest rates and inflation, didn't you have something about 
uh, LIBOR. Yes. Um, so LIBOR is going away. It's okay, no longer. Okay, well, let, let's define this. Pardon me, I'm getting ahead of you. Well, it's first of all, there was a deadline established for doing away with LIBOR as being what you tied your interest rates to. The deadline for lenders to phase out the LIBOR, the rate that determines the interest paid on the majority of commercial real estate loans, is less than three months away, and most lenders have coalesced around a new benchmark rate. Had you heard of this? Yeah. You probably had. SOFR? I hadn't heard of it before. But the what, federal, does that, what does that stand the for? The Federal Reserve has endorsed this replacement called SOFR, Secured Overnight Financing Rate. Okay. So it's basically a Fed funds rate in a way. Yeah, right. But they haven't required it. And lending experts say the presence of other rates in the market could potentially cause complications for borrowers seeking to find the best rate for their construction or acquisition loans. Okay. So why is LIBOR going away? What was wrong with it? Um, You know, I'm no expert on interest rates, but um, my understanding is that it was not as reliable as people thought it was. And it was subject to manipulation in some cases. Mm-hmm. So, therefore, it, uh, it, it needed to go away. So, you know, how does this affect our clients? I mean, basically, if they're borrowing um, and their loan is tied to an index, in the past, it's probably been LIBOR, and now it's mm-hmm. going to be something different. And so they just need to watch their loans and maybe check their loan documents if they haven't been contacted by their bank and just sort of make sure they understand <clears throat> what this means for their interest rate on the loan that they have for their building. Yeah, it says the Financial Conduct Authority, the United Kingdom's financial regulatory body, subsequently laid out a deadline to eradicate LIBOR and replace it with something that couldn't be easily manipulated. The end of 2021. The deadline to end the rates posting was delayed until June of 2023. But the Fed plans to crack down on any use of it in deals starting in January. So it's kind of like the school marm saying, I told you not to do that, but you're not going to get wrapped on the knuckles if you do do it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. What else you got? Well, I have a, well, let's go here. (laughs) I thought this was pretty cool. In fact, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I can't remember who it was. But the title on this one is Dallas Council Gets an Update on How the City Plans to Fix Its Broken Permitting Process. So this is City Council This is City Council and just for the City of Dallas. But this, um, of course, corresponds with a lot of other cities in the area since Dallas is our biggest city. But this was the one that was, here we go. During the pandemic, the backlog of permits awaiting review ballooned to more than... 900. Whoa. It took more than a year to clear them. Anyway, let me tell you this little story because I always like it when there's a story involved. (laughs) Into this mess walked Kevin Carr. He's the founder and CEO of Community Beer Company, which was one of the city's first independent brewers. Going into the pandemic, he was the state's third largest, producing Mosaic IPA and Texas Lager and a slew of seasonal options from a 14,000-square-foot warehouse in the Design District. He had plans to expand into a larger space a little farther north along Interstate 35, adding a beer garden, distilling operations, two-story taproom and event space, offices, and more. He started filing for permits in September of 2020. And it took more than a year for him to get permission to start brewing again. 
For much of that time, he had to keep $4 million worth of brewing equipment in a parking lot because he didn't have permission to move it in or even epoxy the brewery floor. And Carl was a focus of a story that he wrote in another article that this um, author refers to. This is D Magazine, by the way. But we're going to spool to the end. Carr got permission to begin brewing beer just before his money ran out, almost exactly a year after he'd first filed for permits. So my question is, is Dallas no longer business friendly? Are they going to run off the backbone of their tax base? Well, this is ridiculous. Okay, so I'll add one little caveat to this, and I, I don't know anything about that that brewing company uh, so i don't know anything about their situation however <clears throat> a lot of times when people start telling stories about how long it took to get something done it isn't quite accurate because if i go and i apply for a permit but i haven't given the city the appropriate documentation haven't filled everything out mm-hmm. right haven't given them let's say i give them an architectural plan but not a mechanical right. electrical, electrical plumbing plan um, with everything that's required, well, it's not fair to blame the city for that. So, you know, in this case where it was a year, that's egregious. And I got to believe there was more to that story than what was in that article. But, you know, we see this ca- uh, causing delays with our clients uh, where, you know, if we sign a lease and we say, hey, you're going to get six months in which to build out the space or four months, whatever it is, well, how much of that's going to be eaten up by just trying to get the permit? And, Permitting can be anywhere from two weeks to two months, depending on all that. During the pandemic, they weren't even coming out to inspect the space. They were like taking pictures and and doing it all virtual. Yeah, it it was really tough. So I'm sure that a lot of stuff got behind during that time. And now that they are starting to go back. They have this huge backlog they're trying to clear out. Well, I saw a a construction schedule for one of our clients yesterday, and it showed apply for the permit October 22 or something, receive permit October 29. It was like one week that they were expecting to get their permit. I'm oh, like, man. that ain't going to happen. And it was not in Dallas. It was. I in think they of, were visiting this guy's brewery. <laughs> probably. A little early in the day. And his brother Jim and his brother Jack. <laughs> Jack. <laughs> and all his friends. But anyway, they. this was one of the northern suburbs. But I'm just like, now in that particular case, I didn't really care because – the landlord is exercising their their right to relocate by you know by force our mm-hmm. client so they can expand a bigger tenant. So, you know, if it takes six months or you know six weeks, I don't really care because my clients have they to sit right spot. where they are. Yeah. They don't really have to move, so it's not going to improve their their uh, situation in any way. But if it had been a situation where one of our clients was going to be at risk if it didn't get done that fast, mm-hmm. well, then yeah, I would have been all over that. Well, here is sort of an answer to what you were alluding to earlier, that sometimes it's the applicant's problem or omission that it doesn't get done. But Dr. Eric Johnson is the Dallas Chief of Economic Development and Housing, and he's really trying to get this spearheaded and going in the right direction. He wants to amend the chapter of the city code that governs permitting. He told the council that incomplete or incorrect permits we're at least helping fuel that backlog. He'd like to amend the code and allow the application to expire after 45 days if the city hasn't heard from the applicant. The city will also notify applicants if they need to amend their applications, giving them 10 days to do so. Mayor Pro Tem Chad West asked that the city refund applicants when the city fails to do 
its job after 45 days. Johnson said he'd look into it. One of the frustrations during the pandemic sprang from the city's failure to communicate permit edits to applicants, a problem created by the inadequate software that staff was using. Mm-hmm. So clearly a lot of this is what you were alluding to. The applicant probably didn't get it in on time. Then the city responded, but their software wasn't good enough to get the message back out to the applicant. It well, was just dropping through the cracks. This kind of reminds me of, of um, the the legislature uh, to, not this last session, but the one before that, added a new law that when somebody files a new plat for land that they want to develop, <clears throat> that the city has to act on a, upon it within 30 days or it's automatically approved. Now, if the city denies it, then it's denied. Mm-hmm. But they're required to approve it if it's done according to the subdivision laws um, and, and codes. So, and this is just for plat. This, this is, is not for, the for zoning. Plat. This is not zoning. This is a plat. So assuming you already have your zoning and you're just trying to start building on it, you have to file a plat, all that with the city and get it approved. But to avoid unreasonable delays, the legislature said, when you make that application, assuming it's done according to all the Mm -hmm. rules, Mm -hmm. the timer starts, the timer starts. And this happened in Plano the other day. You know, I'm on the PNZ. And, uh, and so we had something come up and tell people, I don't want to know where you live. And they, um, this particular applicant asked for a plat to be approved. It was a split vote, which meant we took no action. You know, if you deny it, that's fine. But if you don't approve it, if it's a split vote, meaning it's, you know, the same number on both sides, mm-hmm. that's called a no decision. Well, no decision then means it automatically gets approved <laughs> on the 30th day of their application. So in a way, what you're saying, this is, um, it's kind of like the shot clock, but for building permits as opposed to plats. And I would say, in a way, I kind of agree with that, but unless you have a plan review, then you don't know if it meets code. So the problem with this is if they were to say, you have to give me my permit as long as I've done it according to, mm-hmm. to code. Well, how do you know how if you I haven't know? had that plan yeah. review? So it, it kind of makes it difficult. You want yours or mine? Go ahead. Well, mine is the NAOP Cree Sentiment Index. So Sounds NAOP. like something you take a penicillin for, actually. But <laughs> NAOP is the National Association of Industrial and Office Properties. So it's mostly for right. like owners of properties. And basically, it's just saying that the sentiment index, which is hope and unicorns. I mean, that's basically <laughs> what it is. Uh, is up slightly from April. How you feeling today? Exactly. And I mean, it did give some, uh, a little bit more detail. Survey respondents continue to expect most conditions to improve over the next year. Yeah. Well, that's so, what they said this time last year. All right. Go back, go back to your chart. Okay. And what has that been pre-pandemic? It was always in what? The 50, uh-huh. 53 to 55 58. on the low, 57 on the high. Yeah. So it's always hovering just above disaster. Mm-hmm. And then in the pandemic, it went down negative mm-hmm. or not negative. It just went it, down it lower. Went 45. 45, mm-hmm. which meant 45% of the people were optimistic and the rest were not. Right. And now it's right back to where it had been. Well, it says the index is higher than at any point since the COVID-19 pandemic pandemic began and has returned to the level observed in March of 2019, which is right as shutdown occurred. This is exactly what we were talking about a few weeks ago about people are desperately trying to find something to write about. So that's a non-story in my view. Thank you very much. (laughs) What do you have over there, Popeye? (laughs) All righty. So to follow up on our conversation the last time about uh, supply chain, 
uh, industrial rents are rising so fast that developers aren't sweating construction costs. Just write the check. Just write the check. You know, it it is interesting because industrial rents have grown enough to offset increased costs that are plaguing companies that are trying to bring in goods from overseas. So, you know, bottom line is, you know, we're fine. You know, roll-up doors for loading docks can now take as long as six months to arrive compared to three to five weeks before. So yeah, I'll come over and type some plastic on your opening. <laughs> the other thing they're saying is that not only are rents going up, but the pre-leasing is so high. Oh, yeah. So people are starting to um, sign leases before the building even breaks ground. and uh, Or the dirt's been bought. <laughs> so that means that investors are willing to go ahead and do the deal. I mean, so what c- construction costs are going up? If you have rents going up commensurately and you have pre-leasing, well, now you're going to have a... Uh, but how do you know what to sign the lease for? Well, if I sign the lease for forty-five dollars a square foot, got to have enough padding. Yeah, but and you don't thing, know what padding you need when you don't know what your construction costs are going to be. But look at it this way: Let's say my construction costs on an industrial building are eighty-five dollars a square foot, and I'm going to sign That's a, low, and I'm going to sign a lease for, you know, let's let's call it a um, a ten. Well, not a ten, but let's say it's going to be a nine-dollar rental rate. Well, at a $9 rental rate, and you put the cap rate to that of, call it 6%, and you cap that, well, now the, they can go out and sell it if they can find somebody to pay a, a 6 cap, which is probable, and all of a sudden they got this huge pop. So it may seem like the, um, the cost to build that at $85 seems crazy, but when you look at what is nine ninety, um, I'm sorry, a $9 rental rate at a 6 cap, well, that's $150 a foot. So now you've taken $150 negative minus out the $85 it took you to build it, and you got a $65 profit. So if they're going to hold it for long term, maybe that doesn't make sense. But if they're going to sell it quickly, then that makes all the sense in the world. So I thought that was interesting. Um, also, I, was, I, I did a quick um, run through on the industrial stats Dallas-Fort Worth is the largest industrial market in the U.S. with just over a billion square feet. What? The second largest. Really? So Chicago is the largest at 1.3 billion square feet of industrial space. I thought a port town would have been bigger. You would have thought, but no. Long Beach, L.A. area? And it's the largest without a waterway access. So you think of Long Beach, you think of Houston. You can get a canoe down that Trinity. Yeah, that Trinity River. After it's flooded. So 8.4% is the rent growth over the last 12 months. Now averaging 7.42, $7.42 a foot is the average rent. And the vacancy rate is 5.7%. Wow. But that's the vacancy rate. Availability rate, once you add in the available sublease, is 9.4. So there are some subleases available. But the amount of sublease space available in industrial is about half of what's available mm-hmm. in office. I'm surprised it's that high. But here's the reason. Absorption, 38.6 million square feet. 38.6 million square feet more occupied at the end of 12 months than the prior. Well, That's you got amazing. floating warehouses out in Long Beach. I mean, it... Well, it, and we're just talking about Dallas here. Another 49.7 million square feet under construction. That's huge. That's bigger than a lot of city. I mean, a lot of markets mm. in the country. And um, Amazon is our largest industrial user in the DFW area with 16 million square feet. Love so, me some Jeff. Um, and the only other thing I was going to mention about supply chain is, you know, our, our president, uh, Joe Biden, 
tried to push West Coast ports to uh, go to 24 24/7. Hour, 24-7 operations. And um, and it was, you know, everybody basically said, nice try, Joe. We, we appreciate you giving an <laughs> E for effort, basically. But all the experts in supply chain are saying, yeah, that's that sounds great. If you can get the longshoremen unions to play ball, which they probably would, how are you going to get the truckers to play ball? How are you going to get you know, everybody else in the supply chain to play ball. Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest uh, problem. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, the, the consequences though are pretty amazing because I mean, like Apple's been forced to cut its iPhone production schedule, their targets. I hadn't heard that. They can't produce as many iPhones or, and other stuff as they planned. Um, So you mean the one I bought 20 minutes ago might still be good 20 minutes into the future? Might still be relevant for a while. (laughs) And uh, so anyway, there's there's an awful lot of this. But bottom line is, um, you know, the ports are just one cog in the overall supply chain. So Nowhere uh, to put it. Not enough uh, shipping containers to get it there. There's so much wrong with that. But, I mean, again, I, I, I give Biden credit for trying to pull together some of the players and say, hey, how can we fix this thing instead of letting it go but you know what he didn't want to be a president president known for having inflation go up on his watch so he should guess be doing what this. Th- there's just no other option well it's already here we already yeah. have inflation we just you know we don't know how by how much yet thanks for listening to another episode of the confessions of a recovering landlord podcast always brought to you by our friends at Riata Commercial Realty. Riata, R-E-A-T-A. Riata Commercial Realty. What does that stand for? Real estate advisors and tenant advocates. I love that. <laughs> Check in next week when we'll have more riveting news. See you next week. Bye.